you brothers and sisters those who are fellow ambassadors citizens of heaven friends of Jesus the elect ones heirs of God we are ministers of reconciliation witnesses saints those who are chosen forgiven free clean redeemed holy blameless elect faithful chosen lacking in nothing Beloved brothers and sisters, it's really good to see you. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to get straight into it. In a world where uh, people identify in a, in a variety, identify themselves in a variety of different ways, if you are a believer in Jesus this afternoon, that list of stuff that is true of you because that is whom God says you are. God in his word says that those things are a description of you and who we are our identity shapes how we live, our actions. And a new community, we kind of summarize what it is to be a Christian in, in, in three words. Disciples, all that we looked at last week. Missionaries, all that we're going to look at next week. And family members, all that we're going to look at today. And I want to just spend our time in a few verses from Matthew 12, starting in verse 46. And, and these verses uh, kind of stand at the end of a mighty conflict. Jesus has just healed a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute in verse 22, and the people are amazed. And in verse 23, they say, can this be the son of David? But the Pharisees think that's some kind of deception and some sort of trickery. And so they claim that Jesus casts out demons because he's the prince of demons. And Jesus kind of says, well, that's absurd. And he says to the crowd in verse 30 that they must choose. And he says, whoever is not with me is against me. That's quite full on, right? If you're not with me, you're against me. And this question, are you with me or are you against me, is kind of ringing in the air when Jesus' family arrive on the scene. He's inside a crowded house doing some teaching and they apparently want to talk to him straight away. But verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And if you're reading in your Bible, like my Bible, it'll then jump from verse 46 to 48. Most Bibles omit verse 47 and put them as a footnote, but because it kind of pretty much just repeats the previous verse. But actually, it just gives us a little bit more context and, and shows the picture and the scene a little bit clearer. So I'm going to read it. Verse 47, someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I just want to back up for a moment and just put a little bit of kind of bigger picture context around these verses. The people are wondering, can this be, really be the son of David? Now, if Western 21st century uh, culture is predominantly self-centered and individualistic and all about I and me, biblical culture is really all about we. It's community, it's familial, it's, it's us together. 
And there are lots of descriptions throughout Scripture of the people of God, but family is probably one of the easiest ones to track throughout the, uh, the Old Testament because it is, in so many ways, just the story of literal families. Right at the very beginning, God promises Adam and Eve that their family line would eventually bring about a snake-crushing saviour. God rescues Noah and his family from destruction in the ark. God enters a covenant to Abra- with Abraham and his offspring throughout the generations. The Old Testament priests were priests in the temple because they were the sons and then grandsons and grandsons of Levi. In fact, the Old Testament kings, well, they claim their right to rule through the family line of David. Can this be the son of David? Even the kind of name of God's people affirms the whole family thing. They were called Israel because they were the descendants of Jacob, whom God renames in Genesis 32 as Israel. The family line thing is really very clear in the Old Testament. So we get to Jesus in Matthew 12, and the people are asking, can this be the son of David? And they're asking the physical question, but that phrase is also a messianic title. They're asking, is this Jesus the long-awaited deliverer? Is he the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies? Is he the new family king? And what Jesus says here redefines his Israelites' hearers' understanding of family in dramatic and significant ways with profound implications for them and also for us too. And he does it in three ways. First is this. I'm going to be honest with you. For some of us, this is quite hard-hitting. First he does. Jesus redefines family by elevating spiritual family over physical family with his literal physical family outside and this whole background of the literal family in the Old Testament, everyone is expecting Jesus to reaffirm biological ties, to say, yep, priority is the family that you were born into. But Jesus does the exact opposite. He doesn't let them interrupt. They're no longer his sole priority and focus. You see, Jesus says, you think it's about this, your biological family, your physical family, where you come from. Jesus says, it's actually about this, your spiritual family, your spiritual one, your primary identity, if you believe in me, says Jesus, is in Christ. And so therefore, before you are anyone else and anything else, you are part of his family. Verse 50, look at it, who's my family? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Biological family is so welcome to join, says Jesus. And isn't that wonderful when they are part of the spiritual family too, but they can't expect to be preferred above the spiritual family. If kingdom and family come into conflict, kingdom prevails. Jesus says some pretty hard things in this regard. Matthew 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus says in every situation, love for him supersedes every other love. Love for him and love for his bride, the people of God. So when a conflict of time or resource or attitude or whatever arises between loyalty to a biological family and loyalty to Jesus and his family, Jesus says the Christian must always align themselves with Christ first. Second way Jesus redefines family is he expands the boundaries of this spiritual family. 
It's not because you were born into it, he says, it's because you were reborn into it. And Jesus' spiritual family then is open to all. Whoever does the will of the Father is Jesus' family. This is not salvation by works. It's not if you do these things and not those things that you're in. He doesn't say whoever does the Father's will will enter my family. But obedience to God, beginning with the call to love and trust him, is the mark of God's family. You're in it because you trust Jesus for your salvation. The second you put your trust in Jesus and became a Christian, you are added to his family. And Jesus says, now behave like it. This is who you are, now act like it. And this teaching points to Jesus himself. The third way he redefines family is Jesus establishes his own centrality in the family. It's all about him. He points his disciples to the will of my father, he says. And he names them my brother, my sister, my mother, And if doing the will of the Father is the distinguishing sign of Jesus' family, then he's the one who teaches the Father's will, right? And the core of this is not follow these commands, do this, don't do that, do that, don't do this, but follow me, says Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in Christ and you are in his family, this is who we are. And this is what local churches like us are then, families, of brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is not just some theological nicety. This is not abstract or theoretical. German pastor and um, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just, I love this quote. He says, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. It's not abstract, it's very, very real. If the local church is family, and it is, again and again throughout the New Testament, the biblical writers use the phrase brothers and sisters just to underscore the reality of the fact that the people of God, church, are family. We have Jesus as brother, we have God as father, and so we have sibling relationships with everyone who belongs to the covenant family. And so just in the same way that my identity in my kind of physical, earthly, biological family, my identity as a husband and a father within my own family has to have some practical implications for the way that I think and the way that I act and the way that I behave. If it means anything beyond just words, then it must have a practical outworking in my day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year kind of way of living. If that's true in my physical family, so it must be true in the spiritual family too in the church. Just go and reread Acts 2 very slowly this evening and see what profound difference it made to the local church in the early church. You see, being brothers and sisters is not an intellectual exercise. It's a profound truth that should stir deep emotions and this tangible, lived-out expression. And of course, yes, of course, because there's people like you and me involved, there are challenges and frustrations and it can be hard work at times and it can be exceedingly disappointing and all the rest of it at times but it's also glorious and life-giving and life-changing and meaningful and stunningly beautiful. Let's watch this video. So I was born and bred in Zimbabwe, um, last of a family of five. Um, I would consider my family to be Christian, um, but I had uh, times in my life where I was uh, involved in Christian events, like at school, part of um, assembly was like Christian, we used to sing Christian songs, we used to pray, and also Scripture Union became part of the schools in Zimbabwe. And yeah, over the years, 
you know, I did believe on and off. And at uni, that's when I actually gave my life to Christ um, in 1998. One of the things that I liked being in a community is that um, you've got opportunity to get to know people. Obviously, on a Sunday service, you've got 90 minutes of praise, worship, and people start walking away to various things. But in the community, you've got time to get to know individuals, get to know who people are, and you share life, what's happening in your life at work, in families, and you pray for each other. And the most important thing is where you start you know, building those relationships because I believe that Christ has called us to be family. Yeah, he says you were once uh, aliens and strangers, but now you are um, um, children of the Most High God. You are part of the household of God. And in that, it means that we, you know, all the barriers that we have experienced in the world, whether it's race, whether it's culture, or, or any other barriers that we can put on ourselves actually broken when you are actually doing life together. Church is what the Bible says it is. We are a body, you know, we are one, we are united. And if you know how the body functions as a physiotherapist, I know that you cannot do away with one part. So I think we all are required to play our part. It might be a simple thing, or it could be something that you might wear something that is great. But for me, um, been part of of church's family and I'm always looking at my family of five that I was raised in, how I was open to them, how I loved them, how I could entertain them at any point and how I would put them first before myself. So God has actually given me my own family to model what uh, the bigger uh, family of God is like. And yeah, I think being raised in a different culture for me, I, I think uh, I was raised in a culture where people are just open and they visit each other and people just, you know, love each other. I was raised by a community, not by my family, because my, my, my family would be at work. But I knew that people around me would actually be looking out for me. So I think the concept of church goes beyond that because there was one verse in the Bible that really uh, sort of challenged me when it says, if anyone loves his mother, father, sister more than I, he's not worth of me. And I was like, what is that? But I realized that Jesus' love is much greater than what we can ever do for one another in our flesh. You know, Jesus was calling us to a much higher love, a, a love that he's demonstrated himself by laying down his life. When you're in the world, it's a busy place and the world is being designed to keep you busy. It might be through work itself or your entertainment, box sets, anything that can draw you away from God. Um, I think unless if you're intentional, if you make it a decision to say, I'm going to make a priority to put my God first, you know, which is the first commandment to love him with all my mind, all my heart, all my strength and all my soul, all my very being. Um, you can easily just make excuses about I need this, I want this. But in real life, I think we, 
if you know what God is calling you to, He's not calling you to poverty. He's calling you to great richness. He's just saying, seek ye first the kingdom first, and everything else that you you require will be given unto you. So I think for for me that's 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 the thing. I trust the one who has called me. I know He's greater, and I know He's not a liar. <laughs> you know, He's He's what he, 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 His word is true, and I've seen it through my own life to say the days when I was trying to busy myself I never got to anything it was just being uh, fatigued and yeah being hurt with whatever I was pursuing but now when I've been still before God I've just realized how he has lifted me up one of the things that I've I, I know in terms of mission is you know, he says people will know that you are mine by the way you love one one another, and it's that type of love that people will be in awe to say, "How come these people are from different walks of life, different cultural backgrounds? Why are they so much in love with each other? Why are they so you know united in purpose? Why are they so?" Um, caring for one another and um, i mean we have to be having the whole fruit of the spirit and so you have to have the joy you have to have the long suffering because there's not going to be just the good things you can you might have to have the grace to love one another and you know spare each other to good work depending on different seasons and yeah i i believe that uh the family is um a place where you can just develop and be yourself. You know, you 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 start as a child, and at one point you're required to be mature enough, and hopefully, you know, the family will grow in that way. For me, community becomes something that I I know I need because you know we don't need God one day of the week. We need God every day of the week. So I believe that we need to live life. Uh, of holiness on a daily-to-day basis and the only, only way I can do that is when I'm working with my brothers and sisters and in community and you get reminded of uh, who God is through other people's stories and testimonies. And uh, I find that you can get to make a lot of friends, um, but you start off sometimes they're just acquaintances, but little by little they become friends. I just personally think it's a real privilege to be involved, that actually you've, you may just start off just getting to know somebody, and then suddenly they started to open themselves up to you, and then suddenly your relationship just goes deeper, and actually it's a real privilege on your behalf, but also as that happens so it becomes much of a two-way thing it's been something that I've always been naturally just wanted to help people and I think that it's not just in the case of the church actually but it's also outside the church sometimes when you're at work you suddenly come across somebody and you know it's a stupid example but you're at the photocopy or on a Monday morning you want to get your photocopying done and suddenly the person in front of you bursts into to tears well you can't actually leave them and so you've just got you just want to help them 
Uh, I think because Roger and I, um, Roger wasn't as old as me, but married later in life, <laughs> I can appreciate what it is to live alone um, and did it for a number of years. And um, I was alone um, sort of through most of my 20s as well. Um, and I think I can understand what it's like to go home and possibly not speak to anybody till the next day or have a weekend when perhaps there's only one thing to do and it's rather quiet. So it helps me to make the phone call to somebody but I do think about it or to include them in lunch. Now my cooking isn't brilliant but lunch with friends if you haven't seen anyone all weekend is lovely and I think that probably does motivate me. I'm also um, included in Unity um, that's run by Wally and Titi and that's a really fun group because um, they're very chatty, they have got a lot of ideas and I find it brilliant just to sit back and listen because it, it's a very uh, fun group but uh, it means in uh, I can meet people of uh, a lot younger than me because at my age I can easily meet my own age group but to meet young people is quite difficult and I really enjoy meeting various ages really you said we've got stepping out our community meets on a sunday afternoon simply because it suits most people so that's that community and we we've really beginning to bond and build really good relationships with a lot of people in that community um, another one that i belong to and actually lead is also men at home that's really interesting because when i started that community i never ever dreamt of it just being retired men that's actually what it's turned out as a group of retired guys um, and when it started it was very very small and I thought I was quite disappointed actually and I thought oh god can you make it bigger and God said look don't worry I will and actually there's now about 10 of us that meet together and the joy I think for me in that group is seeing all the guys contributing just having a desire to want to lead in the group so you know it's not a question it's always me it's often them everybody wanting to pray just everybody wanting to take part Yes, I think my heart is to see a wider age range. Um, I had this idea that all the communities should adopt the probably top 20 age group of the church and that so that they would get some interaction with younger people, um, particularly, um, I'd say the over 75s, because I'm just under that now. Um, <laughs> it might be nice if they got a phone call from various people in another group, just that even if they couldn't actually go to the groups, they could still be um, perhaps included emotionally even if they weren't physically in a group um, but then I think it would um, possibly ease some of the loneliness actually pastoral care is not just for a select few and it's something that's a real privilege to do and it's something that God would have everybody to do and just to get involved with and it's even when you're looking after people you don't always get it right sometimes you'll make the biggest mistake but but actually, that's not important because actually, um, that's all part of doing life together. Um, when my mum went to hospital in 2002 with an eating disorder, 
yeah, they looked after my mum. They are. Me and my dad went to visit her two or three times a week, after school even, as well as weekends. Then, um, sadly, her condition got worse, so she was moved to um, a hospital over in Beckenham. I remember me and my dad going in the ambulance with my mum over there, and I was like 2003 at some point. She was there for like four years, had her own room now, of course, been fed like three meals a day. But sadly, she wasn't put on any weight. Sadly, my mum never did put on weight again. Never did. And sadly, she ended up dying there, September 2007. So my dad was completely devastated at the time. I'm sure I was also. So um, sadly, my dad did rarely, rarely exercised. And eight days after my mum died, he died also, sadly. So I went into um, foster care, where I was for nine years. They took me abroad, holidays in the UK. Went to Elverdon, Centre Parks four times, which was good. Yeah, I learnt a lot in foster care. Parents and nanny granddad friends called Janet and Wally. Um, they brought me back to church again. When when Janet and Wally brought me back, they were introducing me to some of their friends here. Anne and Roger remember me and my family. I started coming back to the morning sessions and then within a few weeks I started coming to the evening sessions and it was amazing to be back here because I was told back in the 90s my parents nan and granddad were baptised here. I followed the same footsteps as they did because in the January of 2018 I was baptised here. I started going to the pub with the evening group and had really good conversations there that God created the whole world in six days just seems incredible <laughs> how Jesus died on the cross how Jesus lived on earth for 33 years that he um, never sinned in his life was always perfect the best part about church is learning more about God knowing what God does picking up a Bible, reading as much information about God, getting baptised, making friends at church, having brothers and sisters, being part of the host team, joining communities and telling non-Christian friends who God is, loving your neighbour as yourself. You know, church life for um, 30, 40 years, pretty stable um, uh, church life um, world. And then suddenly in um, 
2013, 2014, I was um, I suffered a, a marriage breakup and um, went through you know the unthinkable really. Ne- never dreamed it would happen, and uh, the world came crashing down um, really ar- around me. And I, I kind of saw a parallel to the twin towers in that moment that just the way those towers came down and you know there was such shock in that time and you know people just surveyed the rubble and it was like that really I just couldn't it was just about keeping breathing um keeping living in that time um trying to sleep trying to eat but not doing too much else really and just surveying this kind of just rubble and it took just a few months really of just coming to terms with what was happening um and then after that it was a very small process of you know one brick on top of another trying to rebuild something and in that time i found god to be everything that i'd learned about him over those 30 40 years all the time i'd spent leading worship i felt those truths were in me and they turned out to be true (laughs) he was the rock he was the anchor he was the shelter from the storm and all those things just you know incredible and also that found the church was everything i dreamed it would have been i know not everyone would have had that experience but for me church was absolute lifeline where i'd spent years giving out and being part of serving and and helping people suddenly it all came back to me i was the one being helped and needing to be helped um and it, though i wouldn't wish it upon anyone the um the gift of god through the church to me will be something i will always live with in such a, a real way now so something else that really uh, came through in that time was the diversity of uh, the help really that in the church we're all different we all have different giftings and you know I experienced all many of those different kinds of people helping me there was the financial guy who we sat down with a spreadsheet and went through the nitty-gritty of some finances to sort out there was you know the church leaders moment where you sit down and it's like the heaviest of conversations and then you know there's the guy we just guys we just have games nights with them and that was actually it's just as vital as the other ones just people being normal and not talking heavy and just being there for for you for hours and on there was my golf guy uh luke who you know just ended up having lots of time on my hands all of a sudden and just playing golf with him um not particularly talking heavy but sometimes talking you know that kind of thing and i can think of 10 15 people who are have just were just the blessing of god to me you know given cars given phones holidays and so on that you know just just God's God's beautiful wisdom and manifold wisdom of God to me through the church it was just incredible to experience that and one of the other things that happened as well was going to church when you're in a dark place um, and you know lots of times I'd been to church in in a good place or in a slight dip but to be in the very darkest of places and to still walk in it's a hard place to go because you see I was seeing you know families who I'd been alongside um, children the same age as my children and it was really painful at times to suddenly be in this other completely other role and see all that in church life 
Um, but I knew it was the right place to be. I knew this was the place where it was gonna, it, it was part of my journey of restoration was gonna be here. But there was times when I just couldn't sing, I couldn't bring myself to sing. It's just too painful moments and, you know, uh, and too emotional and so on. And I remember some amazing moments of just sitting or standing and having the church sing for me, sing for my friends and even people I didn't know, you know, just singing and feeling like, yeah, I am singing in my heart, but they were singing on my behalf. And I think that's something that, that happens, particularly when some of us are in those most difficult places. So if we see people in church not singing, there may be a reason for that, you know, and there's uh, there's obviously lots of different experiences um, and that. So as I say, just church carrying me in those kinds of times. Then there's also people who were a kind of a real beacon of hope people who'd been through particular dark times um deaths in the family they'd gone through marriage breakup um uh, and just that whole array of suffering that people had experienced and yet there they were 30 years on still going on in God still proclaiming the faithfulness of God and the mystery of God in their circumstance and they were hope for me that you can come through this and experience a restoration in God that you know God hasn't give up on you the God of second chances and that kind of thing and seeing how these people had walked that journey talking to them they were beacons of hope particularly and I remember one guy saying it's in the suffering that you find the real you know the special this special place of God that's a privilege and a, a unique place again you wouldn't wish it on anyone but you can experience these treasures of God um, in that place of suffering and those kind of words and actually seeing a, 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 a group of people really who'd been through that stuff um, you know was a really powerful thing and actually gave me hope that do you know what one day maybe you could be one of those people that could bring hope um, to others and testifying to the that, to the faithfulness of God even in the darkest of times what the devil meant for bad God meant for good and God can take these things and use them for the good and church is this incredible beautiful way in which it gets worked out seen that a couple of times and it it's powerful right Sam you are a loved much loved member of this family well done we are family this is who we are you're a believer in Christ we are you're part of the church broad church belong to this local church and I appreciate some of you are still on this journey looking in on faith and looking in on church and you're so so welcome take your time check us out but you need to know this and everyone else who's part of it we are family and we're united by the blood of Jesus we're going to take communion in a moment um, Becky and the guys are going to just pass that around just take one and pass it on I'll lead us through it when we get there in a moment but we're going to take communion because it's a symbol of of unity it's a symbol of our it's a it's a it's a declaration actually of our oneness in Christ we belong to him and therefore we belong to one another we're brothers and sisters we're family 
And this is why we just literally take one and pass it on. That's cool. Thank you. And this is why we're this is why we push newcom.church forward slash community all the time. I hope you get that. This is why we push it. Because family life is more than just Sunday meetings. Family life is life. It's where all of this stuff is worked worked out. It's exactly what Shamu said at the beginning of that video. Sundays are important. Of course they are. This moment in an afternoon like this, it's important. Of course it is. But family life can't just be done on a Sunday afternoon for 90 minutes and however long you stick around for at the end, even if you just go to the pub as well. And we're still as a church in this kind of regathering post kind of COVID stage and there's been across the board in our church lots of movement out and lots and lots of movement in and I, I wouldn't ever, I don't particularly ever talk about numbers, certainly not publicly because it just can be so, in one sense, so unhelpful and what's the point and what's it actually trying to achieve and so what if they're there or there or whatever. But sometimes numbers can just help bring a sense of scale and size of what's going on at the moment. And over the last however long, we've had 100, over 140 people have cl- clicked that Connect With Us tab. It's quite a lot of people, right? And we're in a process and in a situation where it's our dream and our desire that everyone who calls New Community home is in community. And the wonderful news is that there are more people in community in New Community than those who are not. And yet we still have over 250 people who are not. Gives you a little bit of a sense of scale and everything that's going on at the moment. And so because we've got so many people and so many new people and we're trying, we're on this journey, it's why we're talking about it a lot, we're on this journey of kind of, of, of trying to add everybody in, which means Swinney are launched some new communities, right? I mean, I'm not sure Roger Power can do anymore. <laughs> we need to add some more ones. And he's had some new ones which means some people in this room are going to need to step in and lead some stuff. You're in the family, you have gifts to be used to the glory of God and the good of everyone else around you. We're all needy and we're all needed. And all of us need to be in community as well. Their patience is going to be required to get us to that point. I get that. But I want to just finish with this and then we're going to have communion because this is really important. Is that Ultimately, our joy in our spiritual family life comes from something far greater than our daily experience of the ordinary people who belong to our local church, as as joyful as that is. Our joy actually comes from our brother, Jesus Christ, who is making everyone in the family like himself. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, this is the key bit, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're brothers and sisters, all from different uh, cultures and creeds and classes and colors and every everything. We're totally different and yet we're the same. We're united because we are in Christ and we're all being conformed. Every single one of us are being conformed into the image of our big brother, Jesus Christ. And what's more, he's using each of us to play a part in the transformation of each of us. We're part of one another's journeys. We're part of one another's stories. You heard it in the video. Which is why we love hanging out 
with our brothers and sisters, not because they are necessarily the funnest people to hang out with. And if you're not very new to Christianity, you've probably worked that out. Not necessarily always the funnest of people, Christians, but we love hanging out with each other because we are becoming more and more like Jesus, who's the one we love best. And we love hanging out with him and we see him in our brothers and sisters. And so we love hanging out with them too. In the most amazing piece of scripture, I mean, there's lots of them, but Hebrews chapter two, verse 11, we read, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. And then it says, Jesus looks at the people of his church and says, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers or brothers and sisters. That's just mind-blowing. How, how can this be? How can he look at people like me, people like you, people like us, and not be ashamed? He is not ashamed because he is, in, because he is increasingly being formed in us. And he is confident that one day, because of his work on our behalf, that our transformation will be complete. He willingly identifies with us because our identity is found in him. And as we affirm our relationship to the people of this local church and we overflow with affection for them, affection for one another, love for one another, we demonstrate loudly to the world that we are not ashamed to call each other brothers and sisters either. Not because we are perfect, but because we are being made to be like our sibling who is. In our Christian brothers, Christians and sisters, we see something that the world cannot. We see Jesus Christ himself in ever increasing ways. And so if you're a believer, this is who you are. And so it's not an invitation to come and be something that you're not. It's an invitation to step in to your deepest reality. Your life is in Christ and therefore it is in his body in his family, in his church. You are part of it. So come on in, step in and behave in accordance with your new identity, with who you have been made to be. Jesus, we thank you for your presence this afternoon with us. Thank you for the sweetness of your presence. How your lion and lamb, tender yet, roaring with power. How you know us and love us intimately, haven't treated us as our sins deserve. And what's more, you're using all this stuff in our life and doing it, forcing it to do good unto us as you transform us ever increasingly into your image. Lord, may we be increasingly family. May each of us recognize that we are both simultaneously needy and needed. And that as we grow together, we're growing into something increasingly beautiful because we're growing into increasingly into your image for your glory and our good. Shape us and change us in Jesus' name.